Father, we thank you for a hope we have concerning the future. And thank you that in the present, we can call you Father, Christ is our life, and your spirit is at work within us. And as we look at a portion of Mark's gospel this morning, we want to be those who hear and apply. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was born in 1906. On both sides of his family were famous ancestors of every stripe, from statesmen and lawyers to painters and theologians. His father, Karl, was a scientific genius who was a famous, the most famous psychiatrist in Germany for the first half of the 20th century. Bonhoeffer's mother, Paula, was also brilliant. Earning a teaching degree long before such a thing was widely accepted for women to do, and homeschooling all eight of her children. Dietrich was the youngest of four boys. When Dietrich was eight, World War I arrived. Before it ended in 1918, all three of his older brothers were old enough to enlist and proudly did so. Dietrich pursued a career in theology He earned a Ph.D. in theology. He was involved in a failed plot to kill Hitler, which was uncovered, which resulted in his arrest in April of 1943. And a short time, or just a short time after his engagement, he was executed by hanging on April 9th, 1945, by direct order of Hitler, just three years before the war ended. My question, and I'll come back to it, did Dietrich Bonhoeffer love God? How do we know? Another question, do you love God? How do you know? Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, reading together verses 28 through 34. Mark 12, reading together verses 28 through 34. Mark 12 and verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. That is, they heard... Jesus and the Sadducees. Noticing that Jesus had given a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbors yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. 
As we think about this passage, I want to review briefly in light of our discussion two weeks ago. The religious leaders are attempting to catch Jesus in his words in verses 13 through 34. We find that uh, the Pharisees came to him with a question about paying taxes to Caesar. Then the Sadducees came to him with a question about the resurrection, and they didn't even believe in the resurrection. And in the present passage we read, we find one of the teachers of the law is coming to him. And as Jesus responds to the teacher of the law in the passage we read, he clearly states in response to the question of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus says the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Remember that Jesus states this, and it's coming from the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, when the Mosaic Law was given, when this was given, it was given in the context of Israel coming out of Egypt where there were many gods. It was given in the context of Israel going into the Promised Land where there were many gods. And the Lord said to Moses, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one God. Jesus and the Holy Spirit being one God. He also said to the man, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he says the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you notice, at the end of verse 31, Jesus says, there is no greater commandment or no commandment greater than these. Jesus is combining love God and love your neighbor, making them a unit. If you love God and don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. If you love your neighbor and don't love God, you don't love. He's making them a unit. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, with all your strength. And then love your neighbor yourself, bringing them together and he's probably the first rabbi from what you find in history that is bringing those two together and saying they're one. Loving God, loving your neighbor. He's the first to make them a unit. So Jesus responds to the teacher. And then the teacher responds in verse 32. Well said, teacher, you are right in saying God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbors yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. The teacher heard and argue with Jesus. He recognized Jesus' response was on track. He also recognizes that the law is not merely action, but it goes to the heart. Because he clearly says, to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor yourself, is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. See, the Mosaic law is not merely a list of do's and don'ts, some 613 laws, a series of sacrifices. It's dealing with the heart. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 
1 Samuel chapter 15, we find that Saul has been instructed to kill the Amalekites. King Saul did not obey the instruction that was given by him through Samuel. And after he did not obey, Samuel confronts him. In 1 Samuel 15, verses 22 and 23, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Now remember, Saul had kept some of the animals because he wanted to use them in sacrifice. Samuel says, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Verse 23, for rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. But you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you as king. Samuel takes Saul to the heart. You wanted to sacrifice but I'm concerned about the heart. Go to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, we find in this passage is in the context of David confessing his sin after being involved with Bathsheba, having a child or her, having Uriah killed. Psalm 51 and verse 6. Again, this is his confession to God. He says, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. He's confessing his sin, but he says, God, I know you're concerned about the inner person. Look at verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. So when Jesus responds, or I'm sorry, when the teacher of the law responds, he grasps that the law, the Mosaic law, with its many commands, was not about mere action, but the heart. Love the Lord your God with your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the teacher of the law grasping that. Apparently, Jesus was, you could say, complimenting the man. The man was capable of thinking for himself. He understood that the law was more than a system, that it was essential spiritual. So Jesus says, in my own words, the way you're thinking, you're not far from the kingdom of God. He was in the threshold. He was close. Jesus also realized that, as a man stated, loving God and loving your neighbor is more important than any sacrifice. See, the man grasped some things about his own heart. 
that he could sacrifice all he wanted to. But it's still a heart issue. And Jesus says, you know, you're near or you're not far from the kingdom of God. The scribe was also, the teacher of the law was also a thinking man. Because Jesus says, you have answered wisely. Samuel Johnson says, if a man thinks deeply, he thinks religiously. The scribe, this teacher of the law, is thinking deeply. He also came to the conclusion concerning the implications that loving God is the highest priority. And would have had to come to the conclusion that he could not love God in and of himself. Because no matter how hard natural man tries, they cannot love God and love their neighbors or self. Something radical must take place inside. As one, as Abraham did, as Isaac did, as Jacob did, along with others, exercise faith in God. He was also near to the kingdom of God because he was honest. He was a scribe. And he wasn't siding with his fellow scribes and the Pharisees. His natural allegiance would have been to them. But he's saying to Jesus, you know, you're right in saying that God is one and there's no other and so on. And Jesus responds, you're not far from the kingdom of God. What was this scribe, what was this teacher of the law close to? The kingdom of God. And as you look at the book of Acts, he was close to Christ. Because Christ involves the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God involves Christ. The kingdom of God involves God's rule in some manner. The scribe, this teacher of the law, was not far from God's rule in some manner. The kingdom of God is not speaking primarily of heaven, but of Christ of God's rule in some manner. And Jesus says, you're not far away. It's interesting, the section we read then says, and from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. You know, Jesus has been responding quite well. Why couldn't they, or why didn't they want to ask any more questions? Back in chapter 11, 27 through 33, we find that the chief priest Question Jesus. They ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you authority to do them? And Jesus replies, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. And they chose not to answer because they knew if they said from heaven, heaven they'll get in trouble. If they said from earth, they'll get in trouble. So they didn't answer. In the chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, the parable of the talents, the scribes, the teachers of the law, and so on, knew that Jesus was addressing them and basically saying, you are the tenants who killed the prophets in the Old Testament, and ultimately, you're planning to kill me, Christ. Then with the Pharisees and Herodians, a question about paying taxes to Caesar, Jesus, again, backed them into the corner. They didn't know how to respond. With the Sadducees, the question about the resurrection. Again, he backed them in the corner, and they didn't know how to respond. And with the teacher of the law, he answers very, very wisely. So, there's no more questions. I have one for you. 
What's the point of Mark 8? 28, or I'm sorry, Mark 12, 28 through 34. The point seems to be that the capped capstone coming from what is said in the parable of the tenants, the capstone Jesus knew the law and is able to skillfully confront those to catch him, no, those who seek to catch him in his words. We're dealing with the Son of God. We're dealing with Jesus Christ. They're trying to catch him. He knows the law. He responds accordingly and wisely. Now I have another question. What does this passage have to do with us today? Anything? Or do we say, I have a little better, un better understanding of what this passage is saying. Is that enough? Let's think about what it looks like in life. I desire to very strongly emphasize that the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit are one. They live as a unit in complete harmony. Yes, different roles, but a unit. So when Jesus is saying the Lord is one, he's implying that I, as the Son of God, am one with the Father. He's implying that the Spirit is one with Jesus and the Father. Jesus is not inferior to the Father. The Holy Spirit is not inferior to Jesus. They're a unit. They're one. Eternal life is to know God and Jesus. That should be John 17, 3 and 4. But to know God and to know Jesus is eternal life. Eternal life is not merely going to heaven. Eternal life is knowing God, knowing Jesus, a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus Christ, because they're one. Jesus, according to John 14, 1 through 7, is the way to the Father, the way to God, and the Holy Spirit works in the believer in a powerful manner. Are you prone to think of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit? as being under each other in terms of being a unit? Or are you prone to think of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit on the same plane? See, Jesus said, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Take your Bible and turn to John chapter 14. I want to emphasize something about the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14. Jesus is preparing his disciples when he will not be on this earth. And he says in John 14 and verse 15, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. 
The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will see me, or will not see me anymore. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is one with or he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Now notice, he clearly states in verse 15, he, God, will give you another counselor. Go over to chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. As Jesus speaks, to his followers, when the counselor come, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Look at chapter 16. And verse 5, now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, when you can see me no longer. In regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Jesus is about to leave. The twelve, should say eleven, are troubled. And he says, I'm going to send you another counselor. But someone who is inferior, less than God, less than Christ? No. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. So when the 12, 11, I should say, since Judas <clears throat> does not fit into the picture, when the 11 received the Holy Spirit, they were receiving God. It's not God, then Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit. It's God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. They're a unit. They're one. Stop and ponder that. How can I live the Christian life? I wish Christ were present. He says, it's good that I go away so that the Spirit can come. Now think about that one. It's good for Jesus to leave so that the Spirit could come. How am I going to live the Christian life? What are the 12, what are the 11 going to do? They've been given the Spirit of God. Who is the Spirit of God? He's one with the Father, with the Son. Oh, this Christian life is really tough. Wish I had Christ. You do. He's your life, and you have the Spirit. So God's your Father, Christ is your life, and the Spirit of God indwells. God is one. 
I just really want to emphasize that the Lord is one. Another application. Just as love for the Lord and love for one's neighbor, or one is to love his neighbor as himself, cannot be divided, love for and knowing Christ and loving fellow believers and unbelievers cannot be divided. Jesus says, you love God, love your neighbor. They're a unit. You can't have one without the other. As you look at the New Testament, you find love Jesus, know Jesus, love your neighbor. Can't separate the two. We won't turn to all the passages that will be in PowerPoint, but 1 John chapter 4, we'll look at several. 1 John chapter 4. John is writing to a group of believers. Part of the reason he is writing is so that they might know that they have eternal life. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So someone comes up to me and says, Pastor, how are you doing? And I say, well, I'm not doing too bad if it wasn't for a fellow believer that I just don't like at all. (coughs) They're terrible. Don't love them. Hate them. And the person very wisely says, do you love God? Yeah. Yeah. No, you don't. Well, I say I love God, but you just said you hate your brother. We love because he first loved us. If if anyone says I love God yet hates his brother, he's a liar. Loving Jesus and loving your brother, your sister, if you please, is a unit. Just as loving God and loving your neighbor and the law is a unit. You'll find that is brought out in Romans chapter 13. Galatians chapter 5, where Paul says, if you keep on dividing, biting and devouring one another, you're going to have a lot of problems. 1 Corinthians 13. Speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 talks about Walking as God walked, and that is to love. If you or I claim love for God, you show it by loving your neighbor. I'm not saying that. God is. If you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. Now, that doesn't mean you get along with everybody fine because some people are not willing to get along with you. You may try to get along with them. That can be fellow believers sometimes. But I think that's a direct application coming from Mark chapter 12. And the final application I want to share this morning is I'm deeply concerned 
And the reason I'm deeply concerned is that the context of Mark 12, 18 through 34, is before the cross, before the resurrection, before the ascension of Christ. Mark 12 is before, let the pulpit be Christ, Mark 12 is before Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. The question that is being asked of Jesus deals only with the law. They're asking about the law. What's the greatest commandment? Therefore, to use this passage to sum up the Christian life lets out Christ as the believer's life and the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because Christ's life comes after the cross and the Spirit of God comes after the cross. This passage is summing up the Mosaic law. So for me to say to someone, here's the whole Christian life, love God and love your neighbor. Well, how about knowing Christ and walking in the Spirit? My only point is, it stops with the law. Christ comes after the law. He died. He arose. He gave us a spirit. The Lord desires for us to know Christ, to live with him as our life, and to live or walk in the Holy Spirit. And I emphasize that for a definite reason. That loving God and loving your neighbor sums up the law. Paul says, no God, or I mean, I'm sorry, no Christ, and walk in the Spirit. Not in any way belittling the law. I'm just saying, it was before Christ died, arose from the dead, and the Holy Spirit coming among us. Did Dietrich Bonhoeffer love God? His conscience would not allow him to pick up a gun and fight Hitler's war. Due to a variety of situations, he decided to come to America. He was encouraged to come to America for protecting his own life. Perhaps to teach at, a, at Union or elsewhere. If an invitation from the U.S. was offered... And he came to the U.S. before the outbreak of the war. It would be impossible for him to return to Germany without major consequences. In June of 1939, he sailed for America. His intent was stay, to stay the duration of the war and then return to Germany after the war. He felt very uneasy about his decision to leave his fellow believers behind in Germany. He had trained numerous believers, led many people to Christ, and taught them in underground seminaries. What was he doing in America when his people were about to undergo such a terrible ordeal? Only 26 days after his arrival, he set sail to return to Germany to be with his friends and to minister to them and ultimately to die at the hands of Hitler. He showed his love for God by loving his family and fellow believers. Yes, he loved God. My question, 
Do you love God? Do you show it by loving your neighbor? Do you love Christ? Do you show it by loving your neighbor? Questions that you can answer. Questions that I need to answer. And then I would ask another question. Are you experiencing Christ as your life? And the work of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Have you come to faith? In Christ. If we're believers and not walking in fellowship with God, with Christ, with the Spirit as we should, we can come to God and say, God, I'm out of whack. If we have never come to faith in Christ, we can come to Him just as we are. Travis?